Hi, I'm Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and today I'm really excited to talk about a topic that's pretty important to me, which is accessibility. Now, accessibility comes in many forms. I've, I have a full video about it that I'll, I'll link to in the description below. But today, specifically, I want to talk about language-independent games. This is a fairly large category, but maybe not as large as you thought, or at least not as large as I thought. Um, there are quite a few games that, as I look at my shelf over here that's a little off camera, that uh, in my mind are language independent, but when I actually pulled them open to, to look at them, there's text in it. And uh, a fully language independent game is a game that doesn't rely on players to read any text in the game beyond the rulebook. I'm excluding the rulebook um, because the rulebook could be translated in any language. So once you read the rulebook, everything else is text free, or at least text that you don't need to read. So there might be a card with like, a, a, the card has a name on it, but if that name doesn't matter uh, for the rest of the game, then it isn't language uh, dependent or independent. Um, I'm going to talk about a few different reasons why you might want to consider this or not consider this in the game. It's not always good, but it does make some games more accessible for those who can't read yet. Maybe the kids who can't haven't learned how to read yet. Um, and those who don't know every language, uh, because you could publish these games in, in any language, as long as the rulebook is in a language that you can read um, and, uh, and you could play it. Uh, I'm going to jump around a lot in this video. I will have a top 10, but jump around in terms of um, styles of games or genres of games, because this whole this list could be all abstract games, right? It could be all games that use a 52-card playing deck. There are many games that use that, like poker, hearts, spades, euchre, all those games. They don't require any text. So I kind of picked one game from each of those categories. Uh, I didn't even end up picking a dexterity game for the list, although I could have picked a game like Crokinole um, because it doesn't rely on language either. But anyway, um, I try to focus a little bit on games that are fun and fully functional and accessible despite the lack of text um, in the game. And so I tried to pick some heavier games for this list. There are also some lighter games on the list. So these are games that you can play with anyone, even if they don't know the language that you speak or they can't read the language that, uh, that, that you speak. Um, some honorable mentions, and th this includes ambassador picks, are Seven Wonders, Boop, Carcassonne, Cascadia, Chess, Sagrada, uh, Great Western Trail, King Domino, Scout, The Castles of Burgundy, Voyages of Marco Polo, Crokinole, Poker, and Sushi Go. I paused a little bit on Sagrada for a second because Sagrada and Deus, I want to give a special mention to Deus, are games that do something that I think is pretty special in that they include icons to explain what special abilities do, but they also include text that describes what those icons mean. In Sagrada, they have this on the, the bonus ability cards, and in Deus, they have it, I think, on pretty much every card. I really like when games do this, uh, where, and there are a few other games that I'm, I'm forgetting that, that definitely do this. I think there's a game in the Terra Mystica world that does this as well, where you have the icons. You don't need to read the text, but in addition to the icons, they have put the text on the card and I think that makes the game even more accessible because it means that uh, for someone who doesn't want to constantly refer to a separate icon guide to understand what the icons mean, mean they can simply look at the card and see, okay, this is the, what these icons mean. I can read the text to understand that. And um, I can also see these icons from across the table. I can understand what the icons mean from across the table. And once I understand what the icons mean, I no longer need to look at the text. So I think that hybrid approach is, a, is the most accessible way that you can do this if you have room on the cards to do it. Um, some Stonemaier games. We only have really two Stonemaier games that are language independent, and that those are Between Two Cities and Between Two Castles. Both of these rely 
they don't rely. They, uh, they're augmented by a reference card that explains what the icons mean. But once you know what those icons mean, uh, as you would need to know from learning the rules of a game, then you don't need to look at the reference guide anymore. Here's my top 10. Again, I'm focusing on games that are fun, fully functional and accessible, despite the lack of text in the game. Number 10, I have uh, Cat in the Box. Uh, as I said, this, this is going to be all over the place. I could have easily picked a number of games for this category, but Cat in the Box, I think, is, is one of my favorite tr uh, trick-taking style games right now, and it doesn't use any text. Uh, the game is mostly comprised of a board where you're placing tokens based on the card that you're playing. It also has a deck of cards that is unique in that it doesn't have, not only does it not have text, but it only has numbers. It does not have suits. So as you play a card in Cat in the Box, you declare what its suit is. So you say, okay, this is a red three. This is a blue two. You kind of make it up as you go. But once you declare what that card is, you place a token on this, uh, this board to show what card you played, meaning that you and any other player cannot play that card any longer. Um, the game gets tighter and tighter as you play each round because more and more cards will have been played. So you might have a few threes in your hand, but all of the, the other, the threes might all be claimed. The, the red, blue, yellow, and green three might, might have already been claimed. Um, I, I, again, I'm trying to focus this list on the language independence. And because this is a cards focused game and uh, there is a board, but it, it's all numbers on the board, you really don't need any language at all to understand how to play this game while you're actively playing it. There's no special abilities you need to understand. Um, really the only thing, the only time I ever need to reference the rule book even in Cat in the Box is when I need to remember how you score at the end of each round. Um, but otherwise it is, it is completely language independent. So that's Cat in the Box, my number 10 game for this list. Next up is number nine, Hanami Koji, one of my longtime favorite two-player games. I gifted it. I no longer own it. But Hanami Koji is an iCut you choose game, or at least it has some iCut you choose mechanisms, which means that some of the abilities in the game say you will choose a few cards from your hand and uh, the opponent decides which ones they get to use and which cards you get to use. The cards of the game are numbered one through seven, I believe. Um, there's no abilities on the cards, no special abilities. And while the actions that you take are abilities, essentially, they're, they're four different unique actions. You must take all four of those actions in an order of your choosing during a round, but they are easily explained by the icons on the tokens themselves. They don't need any text. Um, and then the, uh, the, the geisha, you're trying to influence these geisha. Uh, the geisha also do not have text on them. So they just have numbers, just like the cards in your hand. So it is, again, a, a game that is focused on numbers and a few abilities that are easily represented by icons. Great iconology in the game. That's Hanami Koji at number nine. At number eight, I have No Thanks. So this is kind of the, uh, the, the filler game on this list. Uh, in No Thanks, it is also a card-driven game, also a number-driven game. So you're seeing a lot of numbers pop up, universal numbers. And in No Thanks, uh, you are simply deciding uh, if you want to take the card that is face-up. So say there is a, a five face-up on the middle of the table. You're deciding, yes, I will take this card. And uh, the number on the card represents the number of points that you gain at the end of the game, but you don't want points in this game. Um, you want, you want lower, so a five is, is much better than a 33, for example. 33 is a lot of points, you don't want points. Or you were saying, no thanks, and you were putting one of your little tokens, one of your little, uh, your, your scoring tokens, or not scoring tokens, they're, they're bidding tokens, um, on the card and saying, no thanks, I don't want it. 
And so the, it'll go around and around the table until someone finally says, fine, I'll take this card and I gain all the tokens with it when I take the card. No Thanks is a, is a very simple game to play. You only really ever need to reference the rulebook to figure out how many cards to deal to each player. Um, and also, I often need to remember how many cards to remove from the deck. And so very minimal rulebook interaction. And once you get to playing, uh, you are saying no thanks as you play, but you could say that in any language, which is kind of nice. And, uh, and there's definitely, there's no special abilities, no even real icons. You only need to know numbers to understand no thanks. Uh, you know, I haven't gone into the, the different reasons that you might think about uh, using language independence in, in, in a game so far. Um, but as you can see, all the games that I mentioned so far use numbers. And so numbers are kind of a universal language that, that's a little bit of a loophole around this language independence. So that, that's something to consider. Uh, I'll talk about one other aspect. I have a few other things. But one of the wonderful things about a few of these games that I mentioned so far, No Thanks, Hanami Koji, and uh, Cat in the Box, is that they are, uh, they, they are accessible to anyone who speaks any language and anyone who is pretty much any age. Like I, Cat in the Box it takes a little bit to wrap your mind around, but No Thanks and Hanami Koji, you could probably play with someone who is much younger, who hasn't played many games so far, because uh, the game is those games are incredibly accessible to them in terms of low rules overhead and the lack of text that they need to read or understand or remember. Um, and some of the later games that I'll mention, they are a bit more complex, and they are right on the edge of having maybe too many icons, one might say, but they still work, in my opinion. Number seven is actually another game that works for those who are pretty young. I own this, but I didn't. It's a bit of a clunky box that can get it disorganized pretty quickly, and that is Blockus. Blockus, one, uh, Blockus is one of arguably two, I think, abstract games on this list, maybe more. Um, but in Blockus, you have a bunch of polyomino shapes. Every player has the same exact polyomino shapes, and you are trying to place them on the board so that the corners of uh, what the corner of the shape that you're placing is touching the corner, but no flat edges of another piece that you control. Uh, you are trying to last as long as possible in this game. So the longer you can, every turn, if you cannot place a, uh, a polyomino shape, you are out of the game. And your score, and you want a lower score, your score is the number of uh, uh, squares left in the shapes that you have on your side of the table in your color. So you're trying to last as long as possible. It's a wonderful game. I don't get to get to the table as often as I'd like, but I, I try to get, it, to get to the table. But it's a wonderful abstract game. And it's another one of these games where the rules are very easy to understand. It has very low rules overhead, no special abilities, and no real no icons used in the game at all. All you need to know are uh, that you place a shape and that you can't place one of your flat edges against one of your other flat edges. So Blockus is kind of my abstract pick for this list. Another arguably abstract game, so that's number seven, the other arguably abstract game is Azul. I'd say this is an abstract game. Again, no special no special abilities. There are, uh, are there icons? I don't think there are even any special uh, icons that you need to understand in the game. There aren't. Uh, and this is specifically Azul Summer Pavilion is my preferred and favorite version of Azul. In this game, you are drafting tiles. So it has this core drafting mechanism that is a delight in that you are choosing all tiles of one color from a drafting pool, one of these, these circles that are out here. And uh, you're taking all tokens of one color and you're pushing the remaining tokens to the center, which becomes a new drafting pool. Um, and so this, this continues until all pieces have been drafted. And the nice thing in the Zul Summer Pavilion is that you, uh, you don't place the pieces right away. Um, 
if I'm remembering that correctly. Sorry, it has been a little bit while since I played this. Uh, whatever the timing is, the real the hook in this in the Zul Summer Pavilion is that you actually gain some nice benefits as you are placing the token. So you're not just scoring, but you also have opportunities when you complete certain areas on on your your own player mat. You have the opportunities to gain additional bonus tokens, letting you complete even more areas. And I'm mentioning that specifically because that is the, probably the one place in the game where there are some icons that you need to understand. You need to understand this is where you will get a bonus token or even bonus tokens. And but I think the icons do a great job in this game of explaining uh, the, the the points, how you score, and how and when you gain more tokens. Those are the only uses for icons in the game. Otherwise, it's completely, uh, and even then, it is completely language independent. So this is my, uh, in addition to Blockus, my, my pick for abstract game for language independence. I guess, though, this game could also be considered abstract, and that is Splendor. Splendor is my number five pick for this list. Splendor is an engine-building game in which you are typically on your turn accumulating gems and using those gems to pay for for cards on the table and those cards that you gain or those tiles that you gain um, they give you more gems that you can spend on an ongoing basis so they it's not income really you're not earning more gems from it but they just give you a default like if I have a card that has a blue gem at the top whenever I need to spend a blue gem I can always use that card that card stays there on the table for the rest of the game and while I'm explaining this, I, I am thinking of another game that has a somewhat similar mechanism, and that is Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is a language-independent game. Um, however, I, I could not put it on this list as much as I enjoy Seven Wonders, because Seven Wonders veers into the category of having so many icons, especially once you start to add some of the expansions, that I don't think it is possible to play Seven Wonders without, uh, without co not constantly, but frequently, looking at the icon guide. Um, and I'd say that for leaders, even if you already understand the game pretty well. Seven Wonders also has the, uh, the upgrade ability where if you uh, have a, a certain card, a cer some cards might say, when you are ready to build this other building, you can do it for free since you have this, uh, this precursor to that card. And it says the opposite of that is said on the other card in text. And while that is essentially language independent. Um, if you are, for example, if you're playing a non-English version of Seven Wonders and you're having to look for the same word in a different language, in, in say the English language, I think that's fairly difficult to do. I would say the same if I'm, I'm an English speaker, if I'm looking for a word in Spanish, um, I don't speak Spanish, it would be it would be an extra layer of, of, of a cognitive overload to constantly be looking for um, that word in another language to see if I get a free card, if I can play that card for free. So I would not call, Seven Wonders is like technically a language independent game, but I would not put it on this list because I think it crosses the line of having almost too many icons. And I think that's something to consider when you're designing a game. Uh, the, the number of icons that you're gonna throw at players for them to understand. We've probably towed that line. In fact, I know we've towed that line in Stillmeyer games, and that's why we really only have two games that are fully language independent, because we like to support those icons with reference guides and other materials to help you understand what they mean. Um, other text on the cards in particular. Anyway, back to Splendor. Splendor is a delightful engine building game where the icons are not too heavy at all, where you only have a few icons, the gem icons that you need to understand, plus some numbers for the points. Um, I think it's a great game to play at, at, uh, for, for language independence. Number four, I have Dice Miner. So Dice Miner is one of my favorite games for 
uh, like 30 to 45 minutes. Lots of custom dice in the game. You can see the dice back here. Uh, you're playing Dice Binder over three rounds in which you're filling up this mountain with dice. On your turn, you're drafting a die and, uh, and gaining um, or, and saving it really until the end of the round. That's when you gain the benefits for it. Some of them have instant benefits. And one of the great things about Dice Miner is that at the end of the round, you don't get rid of all the dice that you gained. Rather, you roll all the dice that you gained, and then you proceed with the draft for the next round. So you're constantly accumulating more and more dice over the course of the game. It isn't really an engine-building game, but it feels like you're like, the, like it has a strong sense of progression because you're gaining more and more dice and keeping the dice that you gain, and you have an opportunity to roll those dice at the end of each round. Uh, the only time that you need icons in the game are really to understand the icons on the dice themselves. Uh, I don't think there is a reference guide in the game. They're explaining the rules. It probably would have benefited from a little reference guide, a reference card for each player. But there are only a few icons in the game. Uh, and so once we explain what those icons mean, they're, they're on these asymmetric abilities and they're on the dice themselves. Then you understand everything that you need to know about the game. So a few icons in the game, but not too icon heavy. And there's no text at all that you need to read in the game. As Dice Miner, my number four favorite language independent game. Uh, the next two are probably the, are, are definitely the heaviest games on this list. The first is Terra Mystica. So Terra Mystica is one of my favorite asymmetric heavy games, and somewhat remarkably, uh, Terra Mystica is a language independent game because there are a fair number of icons, a fair number of things to understand in the game. In particular, when you're trying to understand what the uh, what the the uh, the special abilities do the the power tiles the oval tiles and to understand the different asymmetric abilities for each of the factions, there is a certain amount of information that you need to understand and retain that is that is language independent in the game, but uh, you you need to be able to read about it to understand some of it. it. It's not entirely intuitive. So this was borderline making the list because you do need to refer to some other material, some source material, or at least one person who knows what all the icons mean to understand Terra Mystica. But I'm still impressed by how, how Terra Mystica pulls off a fairly complex game, a, a very complex game, without relying on you to read anything. Um, and this is somewhat coming from the perspective, perspective of someone, me, who has played Terra Mystica a lot. But I am just... Kind of in awe of how little I need to reference other material to understand the abilities in Terra Mystica. Um, so yeah, I wanted to put it on this list. That's number three. The other, I would say the same for my number two pick, which is Sulkin. Uh, Sulkin is just as impressive to me in, in the lack of language that you need to play Sulkin, uh, at least out of the core box. There are There is some text in the expansion for the asymmetric, asymmetric abilities. There are a, few, a fair number of icons in the game, but I am just amazed again in Sulkin uh, in terms of how little, how rarely I need to look up anything in the rulebook and look up any icons in the rulebook. Really, the only thing I ever need to look up in this game is when you get to turn the dial twice. Um, uh, but that's pretty much it. It's it's again it's a game that I played a lot. I understand the rules pretty well, but I think the icons are really really well done. A lot of this is about graphic design, right? How how good is the graphic design, and uh, and uh, yeah, what can you convey convey with those icons? How clearly can you convey it? Especially when you're getting down to special abilities on the tiles over here. Sulkin briefly is a worker placement game where you're placing workers on these dials and accumulating. Uh, you're you're up, upgrading in a couple different ways on these these temple tracks on uh, this, this, these advancement tracks, or gaining tiles, or gaining monuments. Um, and it's all done through icons. It's pretty remarkable. And one of the benefits here that I want to mention about 
using icons is that you can see icons across the table very easily compared to uh, compared to text. It's fairly difficult to read text upside down from across the table. So that is one of the, the benefits of going with language independence, um, or at least having icons on a card that you can see from across the table. Uh, the last thing to mention here before I get into the number one is uh, the downside. One of the downsides to using uh, to going to aiming for language independence, other than icon overload, like I mentioned with Seven Wonders, is I learned a few years ago, and this might not be universal, but I did learn from some of our localization partners at Stillmeyer Games. So these are publishers in other countries that publish our games in other languages, that they actually prefer language dependent games. Because if we went to them with a game like Azul, um, they may not agree with this for, for Tzolkin, but for a game like Azul, they may not be all that excited about it because even if they love the game, uh, they know that anyone can buy the English version of this game, download the rulebook, especially if it's a fairly simple rulebook, download the rulebook in their language and play the game. They don't need a localized version of the game to play it. Uh, and so as a publisher, I while I'm trying to use the right balance of icons and text in the game, uh, it is a little bit more friendly to my localization partners, which are a big part of, of Stillmeyer Games, to publish games that use a little bit of text or rely on a little bit of text because it justifies them localizing the game and supporting the game in the first place. Just something to keep in mind as a publisher if you are publishing or self-publishing. My number one pick for this category is Century Gollum Edition or Century Spice Road. Any of the, the, the I think that's actually the, the only two, the, those are the two games in the Century um, lineup. This is a game that is often com uh, compared to Splendor. It's fairly similar to Splendor in that on your turn you are often gaining some cubes from, from cards that are on the on the table. So you see this, this line of cards, you can gain one of those cards and gain the cubes on that card. Uh, or you're, you're playing a card to, or, or you're gaining that card, or you're, you're playing a card to generate cubes, to gain more cubes, um, spending the cubes to play cards, or spending cubes to convert uh, to activate some of your, your cards to convert cubes into something else, or you're spending cubes to gain one of the cards that give you gives you points. Um, so you're either engine building or you are uh, uh, leveling up and um, uh, through the engine building or you're gaining points. I'm explaining this game terribly. This is the worst explanation you have ever heard of Century Spice Road or Century Gallum Edition. Uh, however, it is a game that doesn't have any special abilities uh, that, that aren't easily explained by cube conversion. You're either gaining cubes or you're converting cubes. Um, has, has no other special abilities at all that you need to understand. Uh, the rules are, are super simple and it's just, it, it's a delightful game. So it kind of toes that line between a lighter game and a heavier game. It isn't super heavy at all, but it does have a, a nice weight, some nice decision spaces in it. Um, and it, it really does have some, it has essentially special abilities in, in terms of the cube conversion. But it does a lot with that space, with just saying, change this cube into these cubes, or change these cubes into this cube. A lot of variance there without needing any language other than just showing the cubes, or any even icons other than showing the cube conversion. So I think the game does a nice job of, of being fun, fully functional, and accessible without coming even close to needing text in the game. That is Century Gollum Edition or Century Spice Road. Um, and I think that's all I wanted to say about language independence. Again, this is a big category. You could you could make a full list of abstract games, a full list of games that only use a playing card deck. Um, but I wanted to include a, a fairly diverse array of games on this list that can be played with people of that they're a little bit younger, 
At the same time, I probably wouldn't play, I wouldn't try to play Tzolkin or Terra Mystica with a six-year-old, but if a six-year-old is struggling to read, I could pull out um, Hanami Kyoji. I could pull out No Thanks, Block Us, and play it with them. Um, also, if I had a, a visiting friend, if, you, if I or if you have a visiting friend from another country who isn't entirely comfortable with English, this, I think, is a pretty, pretty solid list of games to consider um, based on their gaming experience. You could choose from these games and have them in, ensure that they have a good time at the table without asking them to tap into their, their language skills to understand how to play the game. So yeah, I think those are all my thoughts on, uh, on these games, on language-independent games. I'd love to hear your favorite game from this list and your maybe your top three favorite language-independent games, games that don't rely on you to read any text um, other than the rulebook or have someone read the rulebook to understand how to play the game and, make the, and have the game be fun, fully functional, and accessible. Thanks.